0: there are problems in this world that remain unfixed. I see plenty of food but people still starving. I see cancer. I see families falling apart. I see people connected but still isolated. I see ISIS and it freaks me out. I see people without hope or purpose. I see that we are all desperate to fit in. I see that everything isn't okay around me and in me despite all of this I have hope because there is a God who cares about us me who hates injustice, loneliness, and inequality so much that he didn't just leave us in the struggle alone but entered our struggle with us. As Jesus, he suffered injustice, pain, and laid down his life for us even though we were the ones who created the problems and we were the ones who deserved the consequences. But he rose again and conquered death in order to restore humanity to his original purpose one person at a time. So why do I believe this? I've seen hope restored and lives transformed I've seen fractured relationships healed. I've seen people make it through troubled times because of God's peace. I've seen people forgive atrocities. I've seen God answer prayers. I've seen sickness healed. I've seen broken people find God's love, acceptance, and peace. I have found God's love, acceptance, and peace. I've experienced this transformation for myself, and I believe it can happen for you too.
1: Church, would you all stand as we sing out His victory today? But now the darkness fades into new beginnings As we lift our eyes to a hope beyond While creation waits with an expectation the name of the Lord I got Darling
2: See all of you here this morning. I've enjoyed worship so far. I hope you have too. Um nothing better than raising your hands to the Lord. And this morning uh, I want to tell you about something we're starting next Sunday. During the third hour, I will be teaching classes on theology. For three weeks well, on Sunday during the third hour, we'll we'll go over the basics of systematic theology the first week is on Revelation. It is how we know what we know about God. And I'm looking forward to that time. And it's going to be taught in the classroom right over here next to the next step room. So if you have anything free third hour, come out and listen. Be, I think you'll learn a few things anyway. So the last two weeks we've been gone. Um, last week, Carrie and I went to a marriage conference, which we really enjoyed and had a good time at. But the week before that, we were on vacation, and we went to the Corvette Museum, which for me is a big deal because I love Corvettes. I love little bitty Corvettes, and I love the big Corvettes. If it's a Corvette, I probably love it. Um, There's something about those cars I just really get into. But while we were down there... I said, why don't we go down to Russellville and see the Jefferson Davis Memorial? It's one of the few Civil War-related things I haven't seen in the state of Kentucky. And we went down there, and we went to the monument, and we went, went through the museum, and one of the things we learned there was really interesting. Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis were both born in the same year, about six months apart, a hundred miles from each other. They both loved their country dearly and both tried to serve it as best as they could. When the war happened, of course, they fought on different sides. And living from Kentucky, most of you probably had relatives that fought on both sides. One of the most interesting things of all was they were both born in, in a log cabin, and in 1982 in the world's fair in tennessee someone had a great idea to take down the log cabins and to move them to the world's fair well they did and it's supposed to be really successful but the problem is when they took them back they got the logs mixed up so now the log cabin its the replica the one in huntersville you can go and see has Jefferson Davis's logs mixed in with it. And Gary and I were talking about that and how interesting that was. And, and one of the things that reminded me of is when we become Christians, we become intertwined with Christ. We become new creations. And just like those two log cabins that have been mixed together forever, when you become a Christian, you are forever tied to Jesus Christ. You can't slide out of that. He is part of you and you are part of Him. Isn't that awesome? As we take time this morning to take communion, it represents that coming together with Christ. So as we take the juice and the cup from our stands across the room... I pray that it reminds you of that intertwining that you have with Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you. We just thank you, Lord Jesus, for being, being there on the cross for each one of us. How while we were still sinners, you died for us. father this morning as we come we pray as we take the communion lord that we are reminded of that oneness that we have with you that we are new creations lord i know you love us so much that you constantly pursue us i pray father this morning that we will turn back towards you Father, I pray this morning your Holy Spirit would continue to fall upon this place. You continue to anoint Ethan and the worship team. To anoint Pastor Dave as he comes and speaks your message this morning. We love you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Church, as we continue to worship this morning, as we prepare our hearts for God's word today, I want to introduce you all to a new song. It's very simple. I'm actually going to have you all go ahead and stand up on your feet as we learn this chorus together. It's a simple, simple song with a very powerful prayer. You know, we can come into a room like this and think, okay, God, I'm ready for you to move. But until our hearts meet that same posture, it can be hard for him to get into those places where he needs to be the most. So this morning, as we teach y'all this new song, I pray that it would be your prayer as well. The chorus goes like this. And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to that I will make room you to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to Won't sing that again? I will make room for you. my surrender this is my surrender and here is where I lay it down you are all I'm chasing this is my surrender this is my surrender that's our prayer today God it's in Jesus name I pray
0: Amen Y'all can be seated.
3: That was on me, not turning that on. Man, there is some really awesome stuff that God is doing. I don't know how many of you guys were around Wednesday night, uh, but this is a little bit of what happened Wednesday night. And you can start seeing... Uh, that's what a couple thousand people showing up uh, unexpected looks like. And the gravel lot's not full yet. By the time we got started, the gravel lot was completely full. Every parking space was full. We had people on the gravel. The line was backed up to the Mason's home. That's what happens when people just show up and have fun, a fall family fun fest. So we learned some things. My greatest takeaway is when we're giving out candy, people know where we're at. <laughs> So starting next Sunday, communion is Skittles and Kool-Aid. That's what we're going to draw a crowd uh, starting next week. But I just wanted you guys to see that and see the line of people. And it was like an incredible night. It was crazy. This went on for like three hours and it was so much fun. And we don't know exactly the number, well over 2,000 people that were up here. And then last night we had six Love Your Neighbor events that were, man, I love that last shot, That that end of that that drone shot was awesome last night we had six love your neighbor events all over the county and it was crazy and i've heard some of the people that hosted those events talking about how a lot of people that came to their love your neighbor events and stopped we're talking about hey we were up at your house church wednesday night that was crazy and amazing so would you guys would you guys just really be praying first of all that some of those people that were here wednesday show up today maybe you're here now but that they just start start coming in because that's why we do outreach events to be ready for when people say hey i want to take another step beyond just a, a family fun fest or a love i want to come and surrender man that song was awesome because that song is exactly the key what we just sang what we just sang right before the message is the key to being ready it's the key to being ready. Because when we surrender, when we just lay it all down and get past our traditions and get past our religion and just lay it all down at the feet of Jesus, that's when we're going to be ready for God to do some incredible, incredible things. But we've got to be willing to lay it down. And so I I pray that, that God's doing some things. This has been a crazy week. This has been a crazy week. There's been some crazy, crazy good stuff that's been going on. But I, I know that just that some stuff I had to deal with this week and, and some situations that I had to deal with this week. And then I walk in this morning, find out about some other situations. This has been a crazy week. And we're living in a world that needs hope. And we need to be ready to share that hope, right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your Bibles out. All right. If you didn't bring one, reach, find one underneath one of the chair in front of you. And I want you to get to 1st Thessalonians chapter three. We're right at the midway point this week of this series. We're walking through the book of 1st Thessalonians. Chapter three is right in the middle point. And I think it's just divine timing and perfect timing because this is a, this is a point where especially The very beginning of this chapter, Paul is at one of those down moments. He's at one of those moments that he doesn't know which way to turn. There's this incredible verse in the uh, in the Old Testament that talks about, God, we don't know what we're going to do, but our eyes are on you. And Paul's kind of at that moment. He's like, I just, I don't know. And he, he's frustrated because he can't be with the people that he loves because of things that we'll talk about this morning. And so there's this moment of transition that happens here. And so I want us to dig in because what we're going to talk about this morning is, is something that we've kind. of of alluded to over the last several years, and that is that life is hard. All right, thank you, thank you. But but here's the question that we're going to kind of dig into a little bit this morning. It's why is life so hard, and what are we going to do about it? And so I want you to look there at the very beginning of chapter 3. Here's, let's let's learn from how Paul handled his feelings of frustration and concern. Look at verse 1. A, he says, finally, we could stand it no longer. Have you ever been at that moment? Oh, just me? <laughs> uh, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. I'm out. I can't stand this any longer. Paul says, we could not stand it any longer. Uh, so we didn't, we decided to stay alone in Athens. We just knew it was the best. And we sent Timothy to you. I know I can't come. I want to be there. That's what Paul said. I wanted to come so bad. It's tearing me up inside. But I knew it couldn't. So I, we decided to stay here. But we sent Timothy to you to check things out. Because he is our brother and God's worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you. Underline that if you're an underliner or a highlighter. We sent him to strengthen you and to encourage you. Underline that in your faith and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined that we are destined for such troubles. They're going to happen. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. Imagine that, like, invitation song at the revival, at the Paul Thessalonica revival. Uh, hey, we want you to come to Jesus. But understand, as soon as you do, they're going to come after you with swords. Anybody want to come? I mean, that, that's, that's kind of what they were dealing with, all right? And he said, that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid the tempter had gotten the best of you, and our work there had been useless. Can you hear the anxiety in Paul's words? Can you, can you feel the anxiety of concern? Uh, Think about it. A lot of you in this room are parents, a lot are grandparents. Think about the anxiety that we have as parents and grandparents when we're we're deeply troubled, we're deeply worried, we're deeply concerned for the well-being of our children or our grandchildren or very close friends. And we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's happening. And I just got to know. I just got to know. And Paul said, I can't come, but I sent Timothy. I want you to look here in verse 2 when Paul said that he sent Timothy to strengthen the church. He, he used a word there in the original Greek, the word that he used there that we translate strengthen was traditionally used for a buttress. A buttress on a building, like in this picture. These buttresses that are holding up the walls of the building because they knew that the stone of the walls of those buildings were, were heavy. And then a little bit, uh, just a little bit of move and the whole thing could come tumbling down. And so architecturally, they build these buttresses <coughs> to hold things up. We sang earlier this morning about an almighty fortress that's holding things up, standing against the power. And so Paul uses this term to, about, that talks about propping something up, propping up the walls, helping them to stand firm. Imagine that imagery of Timothy being sent by Paul and basically we're saying to Timothy you got to go down there and hold the walls up you got to go down there and hold the people up you got to go down there and help them to stand firm. Some of you guys know the story that's in the Old Testament, when, when the Israelite nation was in battle. And in this particular battle, every time that as long as Moses was standing on the hill above the battle, as long as he had his arms up, what was happening? They were winning. And we've talked about this at different times before. How long can you stand with your arms up? Uh, it, it, it becomes a shorter period of time than you think. And, and, and Moses' arms would get tired, and they would start to drop. And when they dropped, what happened? They started losing. And finally, Aaron and her were these two guys that saw it, figured it out. And say, hey, every time his arms come down, things don't go well. But as long as his arms are up, we're, we're doing good. And so Aaron and her run to his side, and on one-on-one side, one-on-one, and they just stand. In there and they hold they buttress they strengthen moses's arms imagine if the body of christ we learn to do that for each other imagine what would happen if we would learn to see when our brother or sister is in need i'm going to be the buttress i'm going to be used by god be allowed by god to be a buttress that's going to help hold my brother or sister up in some very very difficult times because in these times persecution was real It was real. It wasn't just stuff on social media. It wasn't just name-calling at school. This stuff was real. And Paul was forced to move because of persecution. Now, the cool thing about that, has happened every time in the New Testament, and I'm convicted that it happens every time in history, that when the church is persecuted and people are forced to flee, there is a remnant of people that even as they flee, they take the gospel with them, and it is actually counterproductive to those who are trying to persecute the church because what it's doing is spreading the church. And, and so that's what happened, is that Paul was forced to flee, and all they're doing is they're sending the the dynamite that's starting these new churches they're forcing him to go to new towns probably in and of his own strength, in and of his own desire and wisdom probably if Paul had to choose he would have just picked a place, landed there and been the pastor of a local church but because of persecution, God used that persecution to send him and start churches everywhere and so the very tool they were using against him was working for him, but it was still frustrating, it allowed the gospel to spread, but it frustrated Paul because it made it difficult for him to truly disciple and grow the churches that he loved and had been able to start. We need to ask ourselves, and, and, and without going too far off base on a tangent here, I think more than ever in any of our lifetimes, regardless of your age more than ever in any of our lifetimes we need to be asking ourselves if we are prepared for persecution and struggles that may come our way are you grounded in your faith enough to be able as paul said to stand strong see he's counting paul because of being sent in all these different directions he's feeling anxious He's feeling anxious for the believers, for people he cares about. And so what he learned he had to do is he had to count on his young disciples, guys like Timothy and Titus, who for at least at this moment are somewhat flying under the radar. Paul and Silas and even Barnabas they'd been out there they'd already been in trouble with the authorities and they were watching for this Timothy and Titus and a few other young disciples they're flying under the radar they don't know them as well and so Paul is counting on them to go and to do some of the discipling while he was forced to watch from afar See, there wasn't technology. They couldn't do a Zoom call. They they couldn't say, hey, things are shutting down here, so we're going to Zoom Thursday night at 11 p.m. It wasn't impossible. They couldn't send text messages. It was all about visits and letters. That was it. It was a very anxious feeling to know that the people that you love are in potential danger. That's an anxious feeling, isn't it? You ever felt that? And there's some of you are feeling it right now because I know some stories and I know people that you care about people that I care about are in anxious situations and it makes me anxious and disturbed you know why? because I'm a fix-it guy that's why I'm a fix-it guy and when I can't fix the situation it frustrates me even more and I gotta do a better job learning to trust the one who can fix it all to, to lay some burdens down and to surrender some of those things and I get it it's difficult I'm struggling with it but that's what we see in this text of what we need to do Paul reminds the people that reminds the people that this persecution was going to happen to those that chose the countercultural belief that Jesus was the Messiah and just before just before Jesus prayed this famous prayer that some of you know really well about in John 17 where John 17 Jesus prays this incredible prayer for unity But just before he prays that prayer for unity that's recorded in John 17, at the end of John 16, in verse 33, we have these words. Jesus saying himself, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, guess what? You will have many trials and sorrows. But here's the good part. But take heart because I have overcome the world. There's going to be days that it's going to stink here, but hang in there. I got this. I got you. And so persecution or simply going through difficulties of our own here on earth, that can help us. It can help us build some things. It can help us to build character. Going through these difficult times in life can help us to build character. In Romans chapter 5, Paul wrote these words. We can rejoice too that when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they can help us develop endurance. And endurance develops a strength of character. And character strengthens our our confident hope of salvation. And this will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, to fill our hearts with love. It will develop character. Going through stuff, it develops character. It make going through physical difficulties, going through physical trials, can can make you physically stronger. If you're having to work really hard and, and you're building strength and endurance and muscles, but in the middle of that, even it can help you build character—the character that gives you confidence to stand firm, even when you're going through stuff. Even though when you're going through stuff at work which I know is getting crazy, crazy, crazy with the, with things that the, the current climate is forcing or trying to force people to do at work. And, and it's hard and it's rough, but we got to have character. We got to stand firm. And so going through, it'll help us build character. It'll also help us build perseverance. When I was in college, I did an internship one summer that I had to memorize like 10 verses of scripture a week. And there weren't like 10 individual random verses. It was sections of Scripture. And one of the things that I memorized was James chapter 1. And James chapter 1, as I'm memorizing, and I'm thinking, I don't know, God. I'm not even, is this really in here? And so I'm like re-looking it up in different versions because I was like, this can't really be, you know, what the Bible says. Dear brothers and sisters, when you go through troubles of any kind, come your way. Consider it an opportunity for great joy. Wait a minute, that does not make sense. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. What? For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, look at these next words, has a chance to grow. So let it grow not let it go that was years ago at christmas let it grow all right for when your endurance is fully developed you will be perfect and complete needing nothing just let it grow strong let it grow strong bristlecone pines are the world's oldest living tree and several are estimated to be three thousand, four thousand years old. Back in 1957, a scientist named Edmund Schulman uh, found one that he named Methuselah. It tells you a little bit about man of faith. Uh, it tells you also a little bit about the man of faith when he dated him at three to four thousand years instead of three to four million years. That's another sermon for another time. But but he said this ancient gnarled pine. He said nearly five thousand, four 000 to five thousand years. Old. It was an old tree when the Egyptians, uh, old tree that the Egyptians had around when they were building years ago, centuries ago, millenniums ago. But bristlecone pines have made their way to the United States and they grow atop mountains of the western United States at elevations of 10 to 11,000 feet. Obviously not a pretty tree, okay? Uh, they've been able to survive some of the harshest living conditions on earth. You know, all these arctic temperatures that come with the height and the elevation, winds that come with the height and elevation, thin air, little rainfall, all that. But their brutal environment Environments, listen to this, their brutal environments actually one of the reasons they've survived this long because hardship has produced extraordinary strength and staying power. The really cool thing about this is I was reading about those this year, I was reminded that, that Dean Burke, who goes to, to our church here, uh, his on his dad's farm down in Southville, there's this huge, and I mean this huge cedar tree. And for years, the Dean told me the family had joked about how it was probably the largest cedar tree tree in the state of Kentucky. So last summer, uh, Dean's dad, Duvall, decided to check it out. He invited the Kentucky Division of Forestry to come and take a look at it, and they measured it, they researched it, and it turns out that, in fact, in Southville, Kentucky, is the largest eastern red cedar tree in the state of Kentucky. Now, they estimate, there's no way of telling exactly how old the tree is without cutting it down, and then it would be done, uh, but they're estimating 150 to 200 years old. That means a tree that's about 15 miles from here could have been standing there during the Civil War that Bobby was talking about earlier. And how did it last? It stood the test of time. I want to be the kind of man of faith that will stand the test of time, whether it's on a hillside in Southville, Kentucky, or at 11,000 feet. Wherever I get planted, I want to be able to stand the test of time. And we need to all have that strength that comes from standing the test of time. It will also, going through this stuff, will also build sensitivity to others. I know if we're really honest with ourselves, maybe more than each other, if we're really honest with ourselves, there have been times when we've heard somebody else's story we've mocked it and we've thought like pull your pants up and let's go that ain't nothing not for you or not for me but when you're going through it it's something and when you're going through it all you need is the sensitivity of someone else that cares And and when we go through our own struggles, it reminds us that, hey, you know, there's other people going through stuff, and it builds our sensitivity for other people's struggles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, here's what it says. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles, get this, so that we can comfort others. There's something to underline. He comforts us so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. You ever gone through something and it hurt so bad and all of a sudden you got out of it and you came out on the other side and all you could think to do was turn around and pay it forward and to help someone else. Your struggles, though, understand this. Don't, don't ever lose sight of this. When you go through stuff, when these folks are going through stuff, your struggles may very well be a sign of effectiveness. It may be a sign of the effectiveness of your Christian walk. Because here's what I've come to find out: Satan won't attack where he's not threatened. And if you're not feeling any attacks from Satan, that may be a t- that may be the time for greatest prayer, because you may not be making a dent that he's worried about. And, and you need to pray because he 's going to come after you when paul 's anxiety stemmed from what Satan, the tempter, as he called him, might do to lead the new Thessalonian believers astray because Satan is the ultimate tempter, but take heart he 's already been defeated. so ask yourselves what causes us to have anxiety today? How can we grow from that? Second thing we can can get here, we'll move on quickly, the the, the last part here. Paul was also hearing things that brought encouragement to him. Look at verse 6. He's anxious, he's worried, so he sends Timothy, and Timothy comes back, and now Paul... So there's a gap... There was was kind of this gap here. And now Timothy's just returned, bringing us good news about your faith. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us again as much as we want to see you. So we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. And it gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. I just love it. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we now have great joy as we enter into God's presence. Day and night, we earnestly pray for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill in the gaps of your faith. Those are key words there. I mean, but look, what, look what the Thessalonians were doing. What did Timothy find the Thessalonians doing? The first thing he says, he found them remembering Paul and Silas with great joy. He said, they were remembering you with great joy. And so, Paul, or Timothy takes that report back to Paul. That's an encouragement to Paul. You know, have you ever you thought you were really doing something that was kind of noble and nice and people would be excited to see you and you got there and it was kind of like, huh, eh, eh. It's kind of like you bought that perfect birthday present or Christmas present. You went to a relative's house, you gave it to them and they kind of opened it. And when they opened it, they, they went about everything else. They laid it down next to their chair. The next time you came to visit it's still laying next to the chair and it gives you that hmm you know kind of that feeling you know you know what it's like all right but but Paul's, paul gets the report from timothy man they were so pumped that you guys came to see that you were here and they want to see you again and that feeling brought them great joy the fact that they remembered their time with joy the fact number two that they were longing to see them again but the biggest thing was the last two things they were doing they remained strong during perseverance And see, these Thessalonians, these Thessalonians were risking it all. They're laying it all down. They're laying traditions. They're laying previous uh, long standing, as Jason was kind of talking about last week, long standing religious beliefs and all these other gods. And they're laying those things down. They're risking it all. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you took an individual chance for Christ? And not just individually. Churches, churches can go on this growth curve just like a corporation where things are going really, really good, and then they get comfortable. And, and, and this, the idea of risking it all, it starts getting teetered by, but yeah, what if something goes wrong? Not of what if something goes right, but what if something goes wrong? What if we, what if we lose it all? Instead of what if we risk it all? What if we put it all on the line and make a difference? It's another way of asking, is your faith costing you anything like Jason talked about last week? So they're standing strong during persecution and they're standing firm in their faith. They're standing firm in their faith. And people needed to see that. That's an example to others. At our recovery meetings here, one of the things we do on a regular basis or every week is we give out milestone chips for every 30 days of of sobriety or recovery or whatever that a person's been going through that's getting better. And so every 30 days they get a chip. And then one of the things we do almost every week is at the end of giving out those 30-day chips for new months and everything like that, we ask everybody that's in the room currently that has a year or more under their belt of whatever kind of recovery they're going through to stand up. And we've got a bunch of people now that are in multiple years, that come to our meetings and stand up. And the reason we do that is I want the people that are there for the very first night to see that it's possible to get through whatever it is they're going through. And when they see people stand up, they've got multiple years, like, oh, maybe you can do that maybe my life can be different and, and so that's what the that's what the Thessalonian people are doing they're standing firm in some really strong and really difficult times and other people are seeing that and going i oh, yeah we could do that too let's go because I'm not doing it alone, so that's what the Thessalonians are doing. But I want you to see in the second part of this particular section what Paul's doing. When he hears what they're doing, he's experiencing joy because of the report. He's celebrating the good news. It's only the it's the only time in the New Testament that Paul uses this word evangelizo which is most often translated, or here it's even translated good news. But every other time that he uses it, he's talking about the good news as in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right? But right here in this one time, he's using it like, that's good news. That, that, that's good news. That, that, that's a great report. That's good news. And he uses it because he believes in that. And, and, and there, if there are believers in your life who bring you joy as you watch their journey, why don't you tell them about it? Why don't you let them know? that their joy brings you great joy, because it will encourage them as they have encouraged you along the way. The second thing Paul says he's doing here, he says it in verse 10, he's praying for them. We pray earnestly for you. How often does he do that? Not once a day. Night and day. We pray earnestly for you. It's interesting knows notice that, that, that when you read Paul's prayers, when, all throughout, not just here, not just here, and in fact, maybe more particularly in some of his prayers recorded in the book of Romans and, and Corinthians, when Paul prays for people, he very rarely is praying for their illness. He's very rarely praying that they would find a job or get a better house, or that things would go well at this or that. He's praying for their spiritual health all the time, because Paul understood, and he's trying to pass it on to people, that, hey, we can pray about getting better from this or that, but guess what? Even if you're healed from the toughest cancer in the world, it's only temporary. It's only going to last a season. And these last two years, we've been going crazy praying for people to stay healthy and people to recover if they got sick. But it's only temporary. And we can survive any virus that ever comes to this planet. But if we survive it without Jesus, guess what? We lost. You might live for another 10 years. And then you're going to die for eternity. If you don't know Jesus. And so Paul's prayers always, when he's praying for them, there, yeah, occasionally he might say somebody's sick, but it, the, 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 the nature, the core of his prayer is: you've got to know Jesus. You've got to be spiritually healed. It's the only thing that matters. And then he does pray, asking God to let him see him again. And I love how he finishes, at least this translation, I love how it finishes the end of verse 10. So that I can fill in the gaps in your faith. That's what discipling is about. It's filling in the gaps of your faith so that you can be disciples, so that you can make more disciples. It's exactly what Bobby's going to start teaching next Sunday morning. And we're going to do it over and over again in these three-week segments that we can fill in gaps about theology. We can help people because, because we want people, our mission says that we are going to equip people to be fully devoted disciples ready to impact the world for Christ so that more and more people can become to, can come to know Jesus because if the only thing that really matters is people coming to know Jesus, we need more and more people sharing Jesus and knowing how to share Jesus and understanding their theology so they can share Jesus. And so that's... Part of the genesis of what we're doing with these, uh, these occasional theology classes is of just filling in the gaps of your faith. And that's what Paul was praying for. So I really pray that you'll make an effort to arrange your schedule, hang out all morning here. It's a fun place to be, uh, and do the 1130 uh, study time, uh, with this starting next week. The final thing I want you to see is in these last three verses and we're done, okay? And that's what Paul was doing, as we said, he was praying. He's praying for the church. May God, here's the prayer, may God our Father, our Lord Jesus bring us to you very soon. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow just as our love for you overflows. May he, as a result, make your heart strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father. When our Lord Jesus comes again with all of his holy people. Amen. He says he's praying for three things. First of all, you're overflowing love. We talk a lot. I'm I'm sick of our world talking about love. Because our world doesn't understand love. Being kind in and of itself is not love. Especially in the terms that we hear be kind thrown around today. Because there's some very nice people who are kind, but they have no clue why they're being kind. Or even what it really means. They're sincere, but they're sincerely confused. Paul's praying for sincere, overflowing love. Because truly being kind involves knowing the truth, walking the truth, and sharing the truth with others that need to know it. The, the, the kindest thing we can do is share Jesus, not block Jesus. He also prays, I got to go. <laughs> he also prays that they would have strong hearts. Friday night, we had a football game at a state and I was in the press box and it was in a new stadium that had to, that had to be the tallest high school football stadium I've ever been in my life. And it had to have more steps. And when I got to the top and realized that I was actually going to survive and my heart wasn't going to explode, then they told me there was an elevator. <laughs> Been kind of nice to know, like 10 minutes earlier uh, before we went. And, and some of you have probably experienced it, many in this room have gone through heart disease, heart attacks, and you, you know that that pain. When you don't feel like your heart's strong. But even that pain pales in comparison to getting ready to stand before Jesus and wanting that heart to be strong. And Paul's praying for that. And the last thing he's praying that they would stay holy and blameless before the Lord. See, people, individual people, congregations, church buildings and budgets, they, they, they come in all different sizes. But the true measure of success is demonstrated by followers of Christ who love God and love each other, love God and love the world, and are committed to living holy lives. The the prophet Micah said this. It's our challenge. What does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We're going to go into that much deeper next week as we dig into chapter 4. But I would ask you, what group of people in your life brings you the most joy? And what do you think might happen if you started praying these blessings over them, really blessing them? Because, see, the Bible gives us no record of Paul ever making it back to Thessalonica. There's no record of that. But there is a record on this very next missionary journey of two guys, Aristarchus and Secundus, who went along on the journey with him, They were from Thessalonica. What had happened to them and made a difference. And now they're going out on missions. It's no doubt they had traveled with Paul. They were discipled by Paul. And they went back home better prepared to make disciples. Not of Paul, but of Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons we think it's so important for as many people as possible from our church to go on short-term mission trips, to get outside of the bubble of Shelbyville, Kentucky. And I know the last two years have slowed the pace of that down. But we know something happens when you get away and you get outside and you see that there are people in the world that don't have the freedoms and the joys that we do and it motivates you. That's why some of our young people who started going on mission trips to Guatemala and started going on mission trips to uh, reservations and to places in Missouri years and years ago, That's why some of them are in ministry now and some of them are in missions now because they saw something. And these guys, Paul couldn't, didn't ever get to go back to Thessalonica, but some people from there came and hung out with him and they were forever changed and they went back and changed their town. See, when our attitudes get focused on God's power and God's love, get ready something's about to happen when we're ready when our lord jesus comes again with all of his holy people that's how paul finished this i want you to be ready when jesus comes again John Maxwell, I'll finish with this. John Maxwell says there's six things that Paul did here in, in this chapter that we need to do as we make disciples of other people. Number one, he provided for them. Verse 2 talks about how he shared strength and encouragement with them. Then number, the second thing he did was not to provide, but he protected them. He wanted to rescue those that might have fallen away. He preserved them. He wanted their work to mean something and to, to last forever. He Promoted them, he, he became their biggest cheerleader. Way to go! I can't be with them. Way to go! You guys are encouraging me, and I want to encourage you because of that. And then he presented them. He shares a report uh, of how others were drawing awesome courage because of them. And then he prayed for them. We can do all that. What if we start doing those things for our ones? As we think about our one, what if we said, "I'm going to do those six things for my one." I'm going to provide for them and protect them and preserve them and promote them and present them and pray for them on a regular basis. And why do we do that? Because life is hard. And God is good. So be ready, right? We ready. We ready for the coming of the Lord. I had, I went up and asked the band. I, I want to finish with just a kind of a silent somber moment maybe not somber just silent I'm not going to ask you guys to stand Uh, Austin I'm going to ask you to bring the lights all the way down I want this to be a time that we surrender some things alright that we surrender some things to Jesus you can do that right where you are. Maybe you need to, we don't do a lot. maybe you need to come down here and kneel and pray. Turn around and kneel at your chair and pray. Maybe if you do need to talk to someone, Jason will be over here, Kim's down here, we've got other elders in the room. But maybe just right where you are. Let's just get ready. Let's just surrender some stuff to Jesus. us to lay it all down help us to know that there are thousands of people in Shelby County, Kentucky that don't need candy, they need Jesus But God I pray that you'll continue to open doors that we might develop relationships you want us to but as those things happen help us to remember to share Jesus in his name we pray Amen Hey guys, there's a lot of stuff coming, as you know. Uh, we're less than two months from Christmas now. We're sending out a weekly e-blast in addition to the e-news that lists all the Christmas opportunities. And we know that nobody can do everything, and we don't expect that on any level. We just want to get plenty of options because certain things and certain giving opportunities just kind of pull at your heartstrings differently. And so every Thursday morning, you're going to get just an e-blast on your email about all the stuff that's coming up Christmas-wise. Some stuff, as it happens, we'll peel it off and add other new stuff between now and Christmas. One of the things that is coming up that's kind of part of the Thanksgiving slash Christmas season is two weeks from tonight, on November 14th, we're going to have our annual Thanksgiving dinner uh, over in the gym. And then we're going to come over here for a night of worship and encouragement. Uh, And so that's November 14th. The church is going to provide the meat and the bread and potatoes, I think. And then everybody else bring the potluck, the other vegetables vegetables and desserts and desserts and desserts you know you get that all right and uh it'll it'll be a really fun night to kind of really really pull vault and kick things off hard into that season so we encourage you uh to to think about that put it on your calendar and be ready for that you surrendered you laid it all down let's love god
4: love people let's get out of here and go change the world see you guys